Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Buckeye fans, and welcome to another episode of the Bucknuts Happy Hour. I am Patrick Murphy from 24-7 Sports and Bucknuts. We are here in Penn State Week, which second to Michigan Week, and we'll get to Michigan in a little bit, uh, is the probably the best week of the year for Buckeye fans. I know Notre Dame was a big week this year, but this is uh, a game, not the one that we're going to have every year, but one that they will continue to play even after the schedule changes one I always look forward to. So we're going to dive right into it. We're going to be joined by a couple guests today to talk Ohio State, Penn State. First, we're going to have Bill Bender of the Sporting News, and then later on, Tyler Donahue of our 247 Sports, Lions 247. Uh, But let's get into it with Bill. Hey, Bill. How are we? Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Um, What a week, right? This is the first of the big three games. And uh, I think I've got it. I've written all I'm going to write about it. I've talked about it all week. I, I just... You know, want to get up there Saturday with you in the press box and get this thing going. I forgot to mention, I'm sipping on a Coors Light that I purchased <laughs> in Indianapolis last week before uh, Friday night before the uh, Ohio State-Purdue game. Uh, that's what I had in my fridge today. People like to know. Uh, but, Bill, let's dive into this. So I tweeted yesterday that I'm driving around Columbus. I'm reading a few different things when I'm not driving, listening to the radio, all that. I feel like a lot of people have – national national perspective on this is like they're very into the Penn State side of things not necessarily picking Penn State but just you know there's a lot of love coming Penn State's way and look I am close to being split down the middle on this game I think Penn State is very talented um, but I get the sense that like because Penn State is finally at the you know close to or at the same level talent wise as Ohio State this year that people are just like really excited about it and want to pick the Nittany Lions as a as a more national guy. I know you're based here in Columbus, but as a more national guy, kind of what's your read on this game and how people are viewing it? Your read is 
spot on. And I saw your tweet yesterday where, and it, I'll be honest, in, in, in our building, it's been going on since August with my editors. And, you know, I have a podcast with Bill Trochi and yeah. my editor, Elliot Ponnell's an, an Iowa grad. And so they're in tune with the Big Ten as well. And they're telling me all summer, this is Penn State's year. This is their best team. This is their most talent since, I would argue, 1999. I, I mean, maybe you and I were there when they played I think Penn State's most talented team in the college football playoff era was the Trace McSorley, Saquon Barkley team that blew a lead at Ohio Stadium yeah. when Marcus Ball caught the touchdown late. That was their best team to me. This team may be a little bit better defensively. Uh, this team's got a little bit of more grinded out mentality to them. And yes, so I'm not, but I'm not falling into that trap personally because when I look at the line and I see it, is it jumped to four and a half, four points, whatever. Mm-hmm. They're daring you to take Penn State, knowing that, and I know that the last four meetings, Penn or Ohio State has won by 11 and a half points. So, like, as somebody that dabbles in that a little bit, I was like, they're absolutely daring you to take the Nittany Lions to cover. Yeah, to me, I mean, there's a few th- few things that that have me hesitating to pick Penn State again. I what I haven't done my final prediction yet. We do that on Friday, but it's I, I'm assuming this is going to be a close game. I think these teams are both really talented. But one, there's the James Franklin factor. He's one and eight against Ohio State, and there seems to be these screw-ups. Um, and two, this game's at Ohio Stadium. If this were the other way around, I think I, I might be leaning the other way. How do you think – let's start with James Franklin. How do you think he kind of factors in? What's the national perspective on a coach who's gotten this program back into kind of the thick of things but hasn't gotten over the hump in, in state college? Right. And I think on that front, I mean, it's just such a huge game. This is the, I've been asked this question a little bit all week of who's more pressure on Ohio state. There's always pressure in top 10 games. There was pressure when they went to South bend and there's pressure when they play Michigan. And there's, I think Ryan day has played in, I believe it's like 21 or 22 games against ranked opponents and several top 10 showdowns playoff games. So the pressure and the corresponding reaction, if Ohio state loses, will be severe as usual on Monday morning. If Penn State loses, I think it will be much more severe because they have built themselves to this point. Because to me, 10-2 and would feel like last year and it'd feel worse because you're going back to a consolation prize. Because I think they're the best program in the college football playoff era that hasn't made the playoff. They've had some teams that were good enough to make it, and they they haven't made it. So, and you just read mentioned that record. I, I heard all summer four and fourteen against Ohio State and Michigan. And what happened last year? You were there last year. I wasn't. The they probably felt like they had that one going into the fourth quarter before sure. JT had about the best ten minute stretch of college football I've seen in a while. Yeah, I mean. The there have been, you know, it's it's similar to the Michigan game, right? There have been, despite the record, there have been games that have been close, that have been could have gone the other way. Um, you know, you mentioned last year's game. I think a lot of times it's been one player that game um, when Saquon Barkley returned the kickoff with with Marcus Ball at the end. JT Barrett went nuts in the fourth quarter, sixteen of sixteen. I think he was thirteen of thirteen in the fourth quarter. That was something JT Barrett never repeated, hadn't done before, and he was a really good quarterback at Ohio State. Uh, what's your read on the home venue? Because as we've seen, you, know, you mentioned Ohio State went there last year to, to Happy Valley. It was finally a day game, so it wasn't the, the whiteout situation they've seen. But 
How much of a difference does that make for you in terms of who you're looking at when you look at these big games? Oh, well, the home field factor? Um, yeah. You know, it's huge. I mean, because even at noon, um, it's huge. It, it's Ohio State's so hard to beat at home. And, you know, that's why the Michigan game carried so much magnitude last year. It was the only second time in the CFP era that they've lost a Big Ten game at home. They uh, they definitely and, – and the re, when they lose at home, I think I've covered three, three or four, four times I've been in the shoe when they've lost at home. And they're all memorable because Michigan State beat them with the backup quarterback. Oklahoma beat them. Baker won that game. Yep. Anthony Brown had a great game. J.J. McCarthy had a great game. So my my point is, Patrick, that three or four of those games, the quarterback that was able to go in there and play lights out and not turn the ball over and do all those things and control their emotions was able to do it. Drew Aller, obviously going to be talked about a lot. Ohio kid. I've talked to friends about him for years. They told me how good he was in high school. I have a friend that lives up in Medina. Um, He's a real deal. He's tall. He's, He's all of those things. He looks like the NFL quarterback. Can he go in and make enough plays in the passing game? We all saw the clip a couple weeks ago uh, of James Franklin going off on a reporter, but uh, um, that's a big deal because they're going to have to do that. And I think that's why Ohio State's defense is better. They they are even in that Notre Dame game. Notre Dame didn't get big plays. Notre Dame had to work 10, 11 plays to get down the field and score. Yeah, and, and that's going to be a big thing that I think will will dictate this matchup because. I can't tell which way that's going to favor because Ohio State hasn't given up a play longer than 38 yards this season. So they've eliminated something that was a problem before, at least thus far. But Penn State also has the experience to drive the ball down the field. Now, they've had a lot of short drives, but it's been uh, a bit more meticulous at times moving the ball. There hasn't been a ton of chunk plays. Do you think that benefits the defense or the offense in that sort of matchup? Or is it a matter of Penn State just can't make the big mistake trying to look for the big play? I, I think that's what more the latter and, and being able to run the ball. And I talked to Dave Jones earlier this week. He's a really good Penn State reporter. And something he told me that struck me is you know, that Nick Singleton hasn't really gotten going this year. Yeah. Like that's a huge – and we for all the talk about Ohio State's running game – Nick Singleton has to hit a couple big ones in this game. And I know there's this narrative that it's going to be this defensive struggle. I get that. I I understand. You're dealing with two of the three top defenses in the country. Um, I think there's going to be a little bit more scoring, though. I do. I just I feel like these quarterbacks are good decision makers. Drew Aller hasn't thrown an interception. I think the the most underrated thing about Kyle McCord has been his decision making. He's only thrown one pick. He has a top 10 game under his belt. And uh so I guess that's my way of saying Ohio State's equipped to get the deep shots to Marvin Harrison down the side. How many are we going to see? I mean, three or four shots down that sideline? Sure, yeah. Is Penn State equipped to do that against Ohio State's secondary? I'm not sure. And that's why when Corey Geiger asked James Franklin that question a couple of weeks ago, I was like, he framed that well. I mean, it, you know what I mean? The exchange got awkward. Right. But the point stands. Why wouldn't you, if you're going to ask that question, be like, why is this team struggling to push the ball down the field? Ryan Day would get asked that question all day. Yeah. yeah. And, and I do wonder, and I know this has been mentioned other places, like Penn State hasn't needed to do that a ton. Not that you don't necessarily take some shots, but, and that's not a thing you normally hang back on because you know Drew Aller is a talented guy. Now, I know 
their big play wide receiver just got back last week. So that could change some things. Uh, I think that's, that's going to be a very interesting, you know, dynamic of this game. Um, I want to ask you, you, you've brought up both quarterbacks. Uh, I won't ask you to pick one because I think they're different, but what do you see kind of as, as the strengths for both coming into a game like this? But Drew Aller, it's, he's, he hasn't made mistakes. Like I mentioned, I watched them play Northwestern a couple weeks ago and it was ugly on the road in the first half. They didn't play well. They fumbled the opening kickoff, couldn't really push the ball down the field and he battled through it. I think his ability to handle adversity at this point has been pretty good. I mean, at home, they're a different team. We just talked about that. They, at home, he's not going to mess it up. Now, can he do it on the road? Um, So I've been impressed with his game and, and we'll see how he, handles this first top 10 game where I've been pressed with Kyle McCord. And the more I watch this Ohio state team, I'm getting some, I understand it's been 20 years, but I'm getting some Oh three vibes from him because Kyle McCord probably isn't a first round quarterback, but neither was Craig Krenzel and they're compl- They're different, but they yeah. get the job done. Like you could have said any number of ways that it was ugly against Notre Dame, but I was so impressed with the third down conversions the throw to Mecca to get it down to the one yard line, the composure. And again, decision-making only one pick. Um, I think he, he's, we had a different idea of what Ohio state might be coming into the year because we're a little spoiled as to watching what that offense is. But I think he's ran it well and continually impressed that when you have a defense like that, you don't have to force things. Ohio state's defense has really been one of the big stories of the season. That's getting undervalued because of Michigan and Penn state have been just a touch better for now in the scoring department. Yeah. I I think it's funny. There was that athletic article and I, I, you know, I'm not disparaging any reporting anyone did, but the, the quotes in there, the anonymous big 10 coaches quotes, it almost felt like they were talking about last year's Ohio state defense with, with what was being said, um, you know, talking about the secondary and the secondary has been, been great. I mean, they have it, you know, they faced a, a Talia Tagovailoa. They went against Sam Hartman. They held them to, you know, some of their lowest yardage of the season. Uh, I want to stick on quarterback, but on the Ohio State side, what did you make of Ohio State going to that Devin Brown package last week? What's your – I'm not a huge bring a second quarterback in the game, especially when you're Ohio State and you should be able to run over a team like Purdue, but it is a change of pace. I know Ryan Day seems to like it. What, what's your take on that? It gets him snaps. It's a way of, I mean, Michigan did this a few years ago with JJ when he was playing behind Cade because yeah. of the athletic. It's similar, right? Like I think Devin Brown is getting snaps that way. Um, the difference being, I think there's a differentiation between McCord and Devin Brown right now. And you, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not generally a fan of that, but it jump-started the running game a little bit. Uh, Dallin Hayden obviously had a really good game. I always look at such a simple way to do it. I'm not, okay, like when I see a running back, seven yards per carry, yes, he should be touching the ball. <laughs> six, six, five, five, five's about, five's equivalent to me in four in NFL. You go up a yard. And uh, Hayden got the running game going. And that was something that had been talked about a lot. So I do think that, um, that, that is perhaps why, just to jumpstart that a little bit, they're going to need to run the ball in this game too because if you get in third and eight and third and nine and third and ten against this Penn State defense, I was told earlier this week this Penn State pass rush is better than what Notre Dame has. I was intrigued by that mm-hmm. because I thought Notre Dame has – Notre Dame's got a pretty darn good defense too. Yeah, I, I certainly think you look at their edge rushers – 
I mean, it's, it's going to be the, maybe that's the matchup of the game. Um, obviously you're going to have to cover Marvin Harrison jr. Emeka Buka if he plays, but can Ohio state's tackles that have been, I'd say good, not great handle the, the edge rushers. Is that kind of how you see it? Right. And, and chop Robinson can play, you yeah. know, and then on the other side, it's the same, same speech on the other side um, where, you know, does Penn state, they have the best tackle in the country or one of them, Olu right. Fashano. He's top five pick. He'd look good in a Green Bay uniform. Um, just <laughs> that hint, hint. Uh, you know, he'd look good, real good in that Green Bay uniform next year. Um, but they have to withstand JT and Jack Sawyer coming off the edge. And it, it's so interesting to me that these teams are, if we went position by position group, I think there's not a huge gap at any level except receiver slash tight end. That's where the gap is. And that's where Ohio State has the advantage. We haven't talked about Cade Stover yet. I, I saw him on a couple All-American teams this year. And with Brock Bowers out, I would make a strong case he's the best tight end in the country. Um, you know, and, and he'll be a factor in this game. Does he test those Penn State linebackers? But to answer your question, long-winded way of doing it, yeah, I, I think Ohio State, the pressure's on the tackles, third and eight, third and nine. got to give them time. Penn State, if I'm them, I'm coming. I'm not... I'm not sitting back in coverage no matter how good my secondary is because I know that um, Marvin Harrison had 10 catches for 185 yards in this game last year. So I would ask you back. Let me play reporter for a second. What did you make of it a few weeks ago when Manny Diaz said, I have strong feelings about Ohio State? That that press conference bit made the rounds. I mean, do you, yep. do you take that as he's coming? They're coming on these third downs? Yeah, I mean, I'm a – after you, I'm going to have our Penn State guy on. I was going to ask him about those comments, what he what he thought of those. Yeah, to me, it's that he probably doesn't think this Ohio State offense is what you expect of an Ohio State offense, that without the, the talented offensive line, without the elite-level quarterback, the run game obviously hasn't been as good as, as old Ohio, older Ohio State teams. Um, I think a lot of people just think that this Ohio State team is there to be gotten, and I think Notre Dame probably saw that opportunity. And I don't disagree because of what you said. You brought up that those Craig Krenzel, Jim Tressel teams. I think that those, you know, that 2002 season is remembered. And I've said this before is remembered so great because they won those games. Right. right. But if one or two things goes wrong, that's a whole different perspective. And I think this season is similar. You're playing with a really good defense and an offense that can get the job done, but isn't elite. And so you're playing with a little bit more risk, right? If if something goes wrong on the back end of the defense and you give up a big touchdown accidentally, even though they've been really good against that, maybe your offense doesn't have the firepower to get you back like it did in most games a year ago, two, three years ago under Ryan Day. I just think it's it's different. And I think in today's college football, if you are a defense first team, it doesn't matter. You know, it, it can be an, a disadvantage just because of the way offenses are, the way the rules are. And I think Manny Diaz sees that a little bit. So, I mean, these are two really high-level coordinators on that side yeah. of the ball. Oh, and, they, and, I mean, they've done a fantastic job. And I think Ohio State, I mean, and I was there in the very tight Notre Dame locker room a couple of weeks ago in uh, the visitor press conference. And, you know, I know everything after that game got into the toughness and the Lou Holtz thing. I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you, I've never looked at Ohio State last year as a toughness thing. And it may, I didn't, I, I thought it was a communication thing. It was literally four or what, you know, four or five plays against Michigan that yep. changed the entire game. 
really did. And this year they haven't done that. You just mentioned it. I don't even know what game that was. A 38-yard play is the longest one. So you're not giving up big plays. And where my opinion of this defense turned, you're not going to expect this. When they played Western Kentucky, I watch a little, you know, I'm a Mac guy. I'm an OU guy. I watch a lot of group of five ball. And I thought Western Kentucky would score 20 plus points on them easy because the way they throw it around with Austin Reed and they got nothing. Even in that game, they got nothing deep. And I thought, okay, the communication's better. The the back seven's experience. Denzel Burke's playing at an All-American level. He is on our midseason All-American team because of that. And uh, by the way, when you do an All-American team for your listeners, the hardest position to do without failure every year is corner, corner, cornerback. I mean, I've, I didn't have Sauce Gardner on one, on there one year. I still hear about it. I did. We didn't have Devin Witherspoon on our first team last year. I'm still getting emails about it. It's so hard to pick because I tell people we're not grading them on their NFL potential. We're grading them on how they're doing right now. And, sure. and right now Denzel's playing as good as anybody. Yeah. And that's going to be a question. He obviously got banged up last week. Um, he, you know, Ryan Day didn't want to give a ton of updates. He just said hopeful on all of the injured guys. You actually brought up where I was going to go here next. Uh, well, I was going to go there at the end, but I'll bring it up now. Your All-American, your midseason All-American team. Now, I thank you for Ohio State fans for having Marvin Harrison. Even though he hasn't had the best year, I think he's still probably the best. And Denzel Burke. No Tyleek Williams, though. Right. He's- He's been, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong. I just, I wanted to bring it up. You can you, say uh, it. You can say, well, here, that would have been my first question to Ohio State beat is like, did we miss there? Because the interior linemen, they're tough to pick. Um, yeah. So it's kind of like a trade-off. Marvin, you could make a case that you could put Luther Burden there over Marvin. Yeah. On production. Right. But I look at Marvin Harrison kind of how I looked at Miles Garrett a few years ago. Well, the first year I did this, Patrick, I had to choose between Miles Garrett and Derek Barnett. And Derek Barnett had better numbers. He had, you know, he was Tennessee's all-time leading sack guy. I think he broke Reggie White's record. But Miles Garrett had five and a half sacks. But when I watched him, I said he impacts the game because he has three guys blocking him. It was kind of like Chase Young. So we took Garrett. So that's why I had Harrison on there. Tyleek definitely is one of those that you like. I, I tell you, from doing this thing for 10 years, it's not so much the midseason one because we can correct mistakes with the final team and it has a first and second team. I lose sleep over it because you're like, this guy should be on there. Why did I not put him on there? Who's going to be the first one to say something? Jerzon Newton at Illinois is another one. Defensive yeah. tackles are tough to pick. Um, but we got it. We, we were confident in our team. I'll tell you what, Luther Ellis at Utah can play too. So like he was one that we were on. I think of the Big Ten selections, we had two Ohio State guys. Zach Zinter from Michigan, Olu from Penn State, and the two Iowa guys. The annual, you can't not have an Iowa defensive guy on the All-American team or the punter. The punter definitely made it. So uh, it's a tough one to put together. Yeah. No, it's not an easy job. And uh, look, I think there's there's so many guys in here, right? And you're only doing one team for that. And right. Yeah, just get it right for the end of the season. It'll be fine. Um, let me ask you this. I have two more things, both relatively quick. If you were picking a top four for a playoff right now, mm-hmm. who would be your top four, um, you know, based on what you've seen from from sure. those teams that, that are in the discussion? Well, a couple of things real quick. Our, our preseason projections were Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, and USC. And USC still could get back. I, I could still be right is what I'm telling you because I think 
there is a scenario where the two Big Ten teams still get in if it's those two. More yeah. likely, Ohio State, if they win Saturday and the first playoff rankings were this week instead of next week, I think they would be number one because they would have two top 10 victories. Right. Nobody else has that. So to answer your question, I'm going to go Georgia by boxing rules. They're the king till somebody knocks them out. Michigan, Ohio State. And then oh, this, you're, you're putting me on the spot of Washington, Oklahoma, and Florida State. I think Florida State's most likely to run the table, so I'll put them there. Okay. But I think Washington's the best team of the three. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I mean, obviously, both have big wins already this season, highly ranked wins. So, you know, you're you're splitting hairs there. Not bad. Um, what'd you say? Not bad. Oh yeah, no, not bad. Not bad. Um, okay, last thing. Just how do you see this game playing out on Saturday? Uh, I don't know if you've done a score prediction. You don't have to give that out here. Okay. Yeah. We'll yeah. How do you fun. see it? How do you see it going? Well, I think there's going to be more points than we expect. I always, um, like I said, I talked about that four and a half point spread and it, it getting bumped to eleven. Um, you know, with the the way that Ryan Day has won this game the last four years, and Ohio State has won this game. Um, I put Ohio State twenty eight, Penn State twenty one. That's a little bit higher than what, you know, if we're anticipating, it's basically a touchdown higher than what we saw at Notre Dame, Ohio State, both sides, which could have would have been a higher, higher scoring game had those teams converted some fourth downs in the red zone. So I'm going to go 20-21, too hard to pick Ohio against Ohio State at home. I think Kyle McCord plays well. And um, if it's tight late, in the coaching decisions based on the history in this game, I think I trust Ryan Day just a little bit more in this game. And uh, the Buckeyes take control of the Big Ten East race and sit happily while they watch Michigan and Michigan State on Saturday night and tweet about the what I've been writing about today. And we don't, I don't know, we don't have too much time, but we touch on it real quick. Uh, oh, yeah, go ahead. These Michigan sign stealing violations have disrupted my day because now I'm looking at sign stealing and the, you know, the one thing in this report that I was curious about is what is the punishment if they're found guilty? Right. In the NFL, it was a draft pick for Bill Belichick or, you know, they had money taken away. What is the I don't think it would result in forfeitures or anything like that. I do think it's a one more thing that could push Jim Harbaugh out of that door. And I'm just that's speculation. There's nothing. behind. You know what I mean? But I mean, this is how much of this is he going to take from the NCAA? Yeah, I had a uh, messaging with a couple buddies right as that was coming out, and uh, they were both kind of like, "Well, this could be the end of Jim Harbaugh." And I was like, "Well, I mean, based on some of the things that have been said, it sounds like it could be the end of Jim Harbaugh in Michigan anyway." And right, you know, he's flirted with the NFL so much that you feel like it's coming down the pipeline one way or the other. And we'll see. Well, as a Green Bay fan, the, the Jim Harbaugh, Caleb Williams, Marvin Harrison trio. <laughs> in Chicago would not make me happy. Um, but uh, it's been a rebuilding year so far, but you know what? I, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. I always enjoy our discussions. Um, can't wait to see you Saturday. I know you're always in the row above me or right next to me and uh, get there and for Buckeye fans, get there early, man. I yeah. get there early on Saturday. I don't mess with that lane Avenue traffic. Nope. Nope. We got to get there early. I'll come down and see you though. Absolutely. We'll have All a right. talk. Thanks Thank for you so much. On. Take care. Yeah, thanks Bill. All right, that was Bill Bender of the Sporting News. Uh, does national stuff.
but lives here just outside of Columbus. So we see Bill a good amount, not as much as we used to on the Ohio State beat, unfortunately, as he's being pulled in a number of different directions. Uh, we'll be joined shortly by Tyler Donahue of Lions 247, our 24-7 sports uh, <clears throat> Penn State site, excuse me. I almost said Purdue there. Uh, looking at this game, though, before Tyler jumps on, a few more things that we didn't get to with Bill. Uh, I know everybody's asked about the injuries. I've seen a couple of things in the comment section. Ryan Day didn't want to give a ton of specifics on injuries on Tuesday when we spoke with him. He just said he's, that he's hopeful that guys will be back. When we were at the end of practice, as, as they walk up the field on practice on Wednesday, before we did interviews with Ryan Day and some of the players, I personally, or Dave Biddle saw the three running backs, um, Trayvon Henderson, Mayan Williams, and Chip Tranum, all walking off. He thought they looked good. I was on the lookout for the other two. I saw Mekig Buka. Um, I, he was definitely limping. I didn't think it looked terrible, especially for a guy walking off the practice field. You know, if, if, assuming he practiced and wasn't just watching most of the practice, and we don't know that, you know, it looks like a guy who's been battling some things with an ankle, le lower leg, whatever it may be, and is, um, you know, was in, was in some pain walking off the field, but took part in practice. Now, if he didn't practice and that's just how he's walking around, I think that's a negative sign in terms of what a Mecca Buka uh, will be able to do, if anything, on Saturday. Um, I did not see Denzel Burke. And I don't believe in talking to some of the other reporters that were there. I don't think anyone saw him. If, if somebody did, then, then I'm sorry and I missed it. But I did not see him, which... Look, it could be that he went in before we got out on the field. Maybe he went in early to get some treatment and still practice. Uh, but I don't know if that's a positive sign. Um, I wrote a story that came out this morning that I think Emeka is the biggest loss for this game for Ohio State if he cannot go. I think if you look at what Notre Dame did to try and defend Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Buka was the guy that Kyle McCord had the faith to go to on big plays. He had his best game of the season, I think 97 receiving yards. I think you're going to need him against what is an elite Penn State defense. And if you don't have him, yes, the wide receiver room is deep, but there's not as much, you know, Emeka Buka was the number one ranked wide receiver coming out of high school for a reason. He has lived up to that, even though Marvin Harrison Jr. has overshadowed him a little bit. And if you don't have him, you're relying on Julian Fleming. Good, but hasn't been super productive. Uh, Cade Stover's been solid, but he's a tight end. Xavier Johnson, a former walk-on who's been talented. Carnell Tate, a freshman who is unproven, especially in a big game like this. So, yes, Denzel Burke would be a big miss, but you're not looking at a secondary a wide receiver group that's loaded at Penn State. Certainly talented, but you have other guys I think could step in in this game. Trayvon Henderson, who I think will play, would be a miss for sure. I just think Emeka not having him would be a big blow for uh, the Buckeyes because of the what he can do when the attention shifts to Marvin Harrison Jr. All right, let's flip to the Penn State side of things and bring in our good friend, Tyler Donahue from Lions 247. Tyler, what's up, man? What's going on, Patrick Murphy? How you doing? I am good. I am good. I'm glad we're able to flip back and forth this week. I was on your guys' show earlier. We're, we're going to have our question exchanges out here soon. So, uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of back and forth work between our sites. It's great, great part of having big, this network. 
big week. Love the collaborative effort, especially, I mean, every Ohio State week, I think for the last few years, at least you've been yeah. on my podcast, I've been on yours. So let's keep it going. It always seems to be a big time showdown and, uh, you know, won't be an annual thing moving forward, but a lot on the line this time. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's get into it. Um, I want to know off the bat, what's your like the thing you're looking at the most? Like if Penn State's going to win this game. They have to do this. Yeah, I think they've got to be able to achieve offensive balance, which they've been able to do for the most part this season. It hasn't been flashy. You know, Nick Singleton, Catron Allen, you know, acclaimed running backs, and they were so productive as freshmen. Uh, they had not had runs of 20-plus yards. I mean, that was Nick Singleton's calling card last year. He burst on the national scene against Auburn with a long run. He had another one in the Rose Bowl that, that caught people's attention. But it's been a lot of four- to seven-yard runs for Nick Singleton and Catron Allen to an extent. Um, but they've been committed to, to, to finding that run. I mean, you, you, they have the number one rushing attack in the Big Ten in yardage per game at 203, and yet they also have a quarterback that they've given opportunities to throw the ball quite a bit, Drew Aller. Uh, you know, the, the first couple games, uh, they didn't really have the training wheels on him. They were letting him you know, chuck it around the first possession of the game, 72-yard touchdown in the season opener against West Virginia. And from that point forward, they have not been an explosive offense, but they have been in a very efficient offense. It's been 10 to 12 play drives. It's not what we've become accustomed to uh, with Penn State. You know, you go back to the Joe Moorhead area, the, the last time they beat uh, Ohio State in 2016, yeah. it was big explosive plays, you know, guys like Saquon Barkley and eventually guys like KJ Hamler and, and Jahan Dotson. And that's, you know, kind of what you were relying on. You know? And now it's been just staying on schedule, you know, getting to third and shorts and, and whether it's the ground game picking it up or they've been very effective on fourth down 11 for 12. They've shown, you know, their willingness to stay on the field by any means necessary. And they've just grounded, grinded teams out and, and the competition is going to change here. But I think, to, in my mind, if they're able to establish the run and the the pass, they don't need to dominate in either regard against Ohio State. But if they can lean on each and, and be able to find that complimentary football deep into the game, that's eluded Penn State in this matchup year after year after year. They had a virtuoso performance from Trace McSorley, most single yardage in a team history. It wasn't enough to get it done because they couldn't run the football, including the last play when Chase Young stuffed Miles Sanders. We've seen Sean Clifford put up, you know, almost 400 passing yards in this matchup a couple times, and they fell shy of, of beating Ohio State. They need it from both angles, and, and thus far they've done it. Um, if that sustains through Columbus, then we kind of recalibrate the identity of this offense. Instead of thinking about going vertical and this big arm, it's just slicing and dicing teams short to intermediate until they eventually wear down in the fourth quarter or third quarter. You, you talk about these shorter drives. You brought up the running backs. Those are two things that have come up a lot. Um, let's start with the running backs because I think there was this perception that these guys were going to be elite. And I think just looking at them, they're very good. But the numbers aren't like eye-popping, right? What What is your read on these two? And you know, is it living up to what people expected? Were expectations maybe a little too high for two guys after big freshman seasons? How do you, How do you see this so far? I think that the important thing here is, well, definitely the individual statistics are down. Uh, I think I think Nick Singleton's down maybe three yards per carry. He was yeah. like over seven yards per carry last season. Now he's you know, back in you know, mortal territory around four yards per carry and, and not looking like a Heisman contender like we thought he might. Uh, and then Catron Allen's always kind of been that that more, you know, eight bruising yards kind of back, you know, a guy who instead of picking up three or four, will pick up six or seven and, and, and keep you moving and keep you on schedule. Uh, but neither of them have been able to get out and get to the second level much this season. And, and, and part of that, I would say, is 
these defenses game planning for Penn State coming out of the preseason, especially West Virginia early. Uh, I think especially some of those early Big Ten opponents at Illinois, Iowa, uh, at Northwestern, they all said, okay, let's force this young sophomore quarterback to show what he's about. They stacked the box. They committed to stopping the run early and often. And it didn't require Drew Aller to get vertical on them, but he was just able to make it work. And, and again, they stayed committed to the ground game. So whereas Singleton wouldn't finish with – 10 carries for 120 yards last year, like we saw, he might finish with 15 carries for 75 yards. And it's not as pretty, and it has people kind of whispering around here, you know, where are the backs, where is the sizzle that we saw last year, the sophomore tandem that was going to take the Big Ten by storm. Haven't seen that yet. And I think that you know, it's it's okay to question that. And 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 right now, I, you can say that either of them have been elite with their production right now. Neither of them have 100-yard rushing game to their credit. But they've made it work, and 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 it's it hasn't been pretty across the stat sheet for Penn State. It's weird, you know. They have one guy who has more than twenty tackles on the season. Um, they, they've got a quarterback who has ninety passing yards in the fourth quarter. They've got these two running backs in Kaytron Allen and Nick Singleton who have fourteen combined carries in the fourth quarter. We're in week seven of the season, right? So the stats are skewed. But to your point, I think there's there's certainly something to be said for for. That's a, a, some juice lacking in the backfield right now. And if they find that juice in Columbus, it couldn't happen anytime sooner for them. But I just want to make the point statistically, this is a very tough team to gauge individually right now because they've been bringing everyone to the sidelines by the time the fourth quarter rolls around. Well, let's stick on that because for me, one of the toughest things that we do is we have to evaluate teams without seeing them play, you know, competition their their level of competition like the nfl you you know everybody's about the same and you can make judgments fairly quickly in a season um at least ohio state has played notre dame so like we are able to use that as an assessment how do you evaluate this penn state team with the the schedule that it's been that they've had there have been some some opponents that have been decent but it hasn't you haven't seen this type of level yet so how do you how do you assess where they are at this point in the year yeah, UMass and Delaware, they they were they looked every bit the cupcakes. The Penn State made them look every bit the cupcakes, however you want to phrase that. Uh Illinois was not nearly as competitive as we thought they might be. You know, we right. it was still early on in the season. How much would they carry over? They didn't they beat Maryland, but they just weren't up to the task offensively that day. And same goes for Northwestern. That that program is really hollowed out right now from an emotional standpoint, I think. But I look back at what they did against Iowa, and we can all make fun of Iowa. And heck, I mean, the winner of the Big Ten East may have to face this damn team in Indianapolis in December. Somehow, some way, this, wouldn't that be just the perfect way for the Big Ten era to end in, in this two-division system for Iowa to get a shot there? But they had, I think, four touchdown drives against Iowa of 10-plus yards. People don't do that against the Hawkeyes, and that's not the way Penn State has operated offensively. And I've covered this team since 2017. It's just not the way they have historically attacked opponents under James Franklin. So to see them kind of take their own, uh, take Iowa's own approach right at them, punch them in the mouth repeatedly offensively. And that's a very, very good Iowa defense. I mean, we, you can say a lot about that Hawkeyes program right now, but they can hang their hat on that defense. For sure. And they really took that defense to the woodshed over the course of the matchup. They were just consistent with the ground game getting four or six yards per carry they were really effective on short short yardage plays um and and they kept iowa's offense under 100 yards that night uh, so i was six and one maybe that's aged a little bit better than we thought it would but that's a decimated program right now 
we've all been looking at this game, just like I'm sure even with Notre Dame, you've been keeping an eye on, on you're always keeping an eye on Michigan, but to some degree, this matchup as well as yeah. a litmus test of, sort, of sorts about where we all are in the Big Ten East, where you got three teams in the top 10 of preseason rankings. We're all chewing over that and debating over that for all this time. What does it look like when they share the field? This is finally the chance. And, you know, Penn State hasn't played a complete game to this point, but I can't fault them for that. You know, would you rather have seen Penn State struggle their way past West Virginia or struggle their way and have to eke one out in the road against Illinois or maybe play Iowa really close at home and have to rely on a play late in the game? I mean, they just, you know, they didn't play with their meals. They buried these teams and to their benefit, they were able to essentially shave off what I'm told is a game and a half worth of defensive snaps off of that entire defense over the course of these six weeks because of the ball control offense. And then also starters have been very limited in how much they've had to play. So they've been about as dominant as you could hope for in six games, but there is a hesitancy in saying this is exactly who Penn State is. You know, How much is that is going to sustain as Ohio State and Michigan come down the road? How much right. is that is going to kind of fade in the rearview mirror and say, well, that was because of the competition? It remains to be seen, but I would I would argue that at six and zero, and at this point, this is the deepest Penn State roster that I've witnessed because of their ability to go two, even three deep at certain positions and not suffer a significant drop off. And then the deepest staff that I've seen with Penn State, and that really starts with Manny Diaz being in year two, Mike Yersich being in year two. Um, it just feels like they're bringing a different arsenal to the field against Ohio State than they've been able to do in the last several years. When we talked. Uh, several weeks ago, you, it was about Drew Aller, the excitement surrounding him. Uh, you know, we talked about last season when fans wanted him kind of in the games. What what has he brought? Um, what is he? What makes him special? Obviously, he's put up great numbers. But what have you seen when you really like look into what makes Drew Aller a good quarterback? I think as much as we discuss his arm talent and the ability to throw the ball wherever it needs to go and his six foot five, 240 pound frame that everyone's excited about those, those traits made him a number one prospect material, but it's been psychologically, he's really fit the bill as a franchise quarterback. And I think that is something And before I covered Penn state, I got to cover national college football recruiting and got to follow the elite 11 tour around and all that stuff. And one thing I picked up from that was, psychologically it makes such a difference about who actually survives that jump you know who who goes from five star prospect in high school to a, a star at the college level because you don't lose your arm strength right you don't lose height you don't lose that your physical frame but you can lose your confidence or you can fail to be a leader and a conductor of an offensive attack and thus far Drew Aller from a psychological standpoint has looked the part you know he's a guy who has also been very careful with the football. I don't think to the detriment of the team, they've been very conservative from the passing attack, but he just hasn't put the ball in harm's way. He's been very reticent to, uh, to, 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 to put the ball, you know, even in traffic. And I think he's, it's something they'll need to do in a game like this, where the, you know, you, it's kind of hanging in the balance more often. You've got to take more chances. Uh, you, you've got to trust your wide receivers, but to this point, no turnovers through 16 college games, you know, 13 starts or sorry, uh, six starts uh, now and then 10 games last year. So 16 college games, no turnovers. Um, and he really hasn't thrown a bunch where you say that should have been picked. Maybe two, three passes through the first six games of this year. An anecdote we heard during preseason camp, and we think very highly of this Penn State defense you know, through the first half of the season. The numbers show that he didn't turn the ball over through the first 13 preseason practice sessions. Um, that Pretty said good. something to us, uh, yeah. just those of us who cover the team closely. And if there was an issue with Sean Clifford, he could be mercurial. You know, he could be 
game by game, series by series. He could be mercurial with his temperament, and that could be reflected with the turnovers. You saw them pile up a couple different times against Ohio State. Thus far, we've seen him be that steady Eddie kind of presence, which I said think says a lot. It doesn't feel like they're sending a kid quarterback to Columbus. And I think I wondered in August, would it feel like they're sending a kid to play quarterback at Ohio Stadium? It doesn't. When you look back at last year, the story of that game was JT Tuamalau um, and, and what he did. How much talk has there been about him this week or, or just in kind of the buildup? I know there were questions about Ohio State a couple weeks ago that were uh, shot down. They weren't ready to talk about the Buckeyes. But what's kind of the concern level of – I don't know if he has another performance like he could last year. I don't know if that's that's possible. But what's the concern level about him in, in State College? Yeah, you're not going to surprise anybody. I mean, no. uh, you know, I don't think anyone could quite pronounce his name yet, including James Franklin. Uh, at the, and I was like, oh, no, James, you got to get this one right. But, I mean, look, it, it's, it's a mouthful, but he was a handful last year. And I, I should point out, he was a lot of that damage, and it was a virtuoso performance, the kind of thing that you, you, you understand why he was the recruit uh, that he was right. when he does that in the Big Ten trenches. But he was going against Bryce Effner, who was kind of thrust into that moment. They had lost their starting tackle, Caden Wallace, one week prior to Minnesota. He had been their starter for a couple seasons prior to. And Bryce Effner was a fifth-year backup last year, undersized tackle, and he got feasted on. I mean, it was not a good matchup. And also, that offensive line was a bit different. I think that's really where I take this conversation. Um, last year, the offensive line, just to give you a glimpse at where they were going into the Ohio State matchup, they had just lost Caden Wallace, their starting right tackle, to an injury. He was done for the year. Two weeks prior, they had lost their starting left guard for the season uh, due to an injury. And then by the end of that Ohio State game, of course, they had lost Olu Fashinu to an injury. And Olu, at that point, I think had seven career starts. Olu's a little bit seasoned. He's a little bit different now. Uh, and, and he's the top-rated pass protector. And you look at pro football focus, the cross power five, and he looks like it. And if he can look like that against Ohio State, well, there, that, there's one side locked down for you, and you're in a good spot. Caden Wallace, man, that, this, this is the guy where he's played a ton of football for Penn State. He's, I think he started – this will be his third start against Ohio State. He missed it last year. Uh, he has been a mainstay in their starting lineup, but he's also been a, a bit of a mainstay in Penn State's uh, fans, uh, I guess, issues with some of the offensive line play. Um, he's had some glaring moments in pass protection in the past and hasn't really put it together. That's changed this year. We've heard great things about Caden in the offseason. Would it show up on the field? It has. You know, he's grading out way higher than he has in, in past years, and he retook over that right tackle job. They've kind of pushed him for it in preseason camp. He's the guy that I think is under – the biggest spotlight maybe outside of Drew Aller on this offense is, is right tackle Caden Wallace because obviously you can't shut down this pass rush for Ohio State, and they've done a really good job this season. Only four sacks allowed. That's the best mark in the Big Ten. Drew Aller deserves some of that credit because he's really good at manipulating and moving the pocket in his own right. But if Caden Wallace can play good football, uh, he can't play average in this matchup, but if he can play good football because of what they're bringing on the offensive front, I think that'll really stabilize things. They're getting JB Nelson back. He missed last week's matchup. Uh, we weren't sure what his status would be, but he was on the practice field last week, uh, yesterday. James Franklin says he'll be good to go. So you're going to see a three guard rotation, JB Nelson, uh, Vega Ioane and Salim Wormley. You're going to see those two tackles locked in with Caden Wallace and Olu Fashinu. And then at center, it's Hunter Norzad, who last year was the starter at left guard for this team. But I'll just note, they have two other guys that have starting experience. Vega Ioane, as I said, the third guard, he started a couple games this year. And then Drew Shelton, if they need to call upon him, if Caden Wallace is struggling, or if they want to do a rotational approach, Drew Shelton with Olu out last year, started the final five games of the season, including the Rose Bowl as a freshman at left tackle.
Let's flip over to the defensive side of the ball. You mentioned a couple answers ago that you're very high on this defense. Statistically, it's it's obvious why. What has made this defense so good? What has Manny Diaz done well? What have the, who, who are the names that Buckeye fans need to know? Yeah, well, I'll go back to the point. One guy has 20-plus tackles through six right. games. Uh, yeah, Curtis Jacobs has 22 tackles on the season, and then I think they've got 15 or 16 guys who are at 10-plus tackles on the year. Uh, you know, starters are kind of just uh, – it's not really a word that matters on this defense. I think there's five guys. If you're going to say who are the base defenders against Ohio State, I would say linebackers Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs. Abdul rose to prominence last year as a freshman All-American. We're still waiting for him to really take that next step and, and, and kind of match that career trajectory of Micah Parsons, who we saw a couple of years ago, not too long ago, go from a freshman All-American to an outright All-American as a sophomore. Hasn't been quite that yet for Abdul Carter, but this is a stage where he can kind of make a statement. And then three defensive backs I would point to. Kaylin King, who, who talked to us yesterday after practice about how excited he is for the opportunity to match up against a very talented wide receiver group, starting out with, with Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, you got Johnny Dixon, who's in his third year with the program. He transferred in from South Carolina several years ago. He has been playing at a very high level. They think he is a major riser on NFL draft boards. And then Daquan Hardy, who has been a mainstay for them in slot coverage. You know, he's gone toe-to-toe with slot receivers in the past for Ohio State. He's been pretty steady in that role, and, and he's a fifth-year senior. And, oh, by the way, he's a guy who last week, just something to monitor here, First game ever as a college punt returner. Year five on campus, he took two to the house, set a Penn State record. It was against UMass. Maybe special teams coordinator took the week off and slept through it. But he's all of a sudden a threat to watch in that return game at special teams. But I think up front, um, you got Denai Dennis Sutton, Adiza Isaac, and Chop Robinson, who are on a rotational kind of situation at defensive end. Chop Robinson and Adiza Isaac, a little bit older, they'll get the starts. But Denai Dennis Sutton, who was a five-star pickup last year, he has really impressed. And all three of these guys will share the field now. It's a new wrinkle for this defense. I think we're going to see quite a bit of it against Ohio State, especially in pass rush downs uh, where Chop Robinson goes inside. Remember, this is a guy who was like a hybrid linebacker at Maryland as a freshman. He goes inside, and then you've got Adiza Isaac and Deny Dennis Sutton. It has worked for them. Um, we'll see if, if it's something that can be effective against Ohio State because it's been pretty unstoppable against these lesser opponents. There's a lot of it on film right now. I think the one thing we're wondering is about is how much is not on film right now. And I think maybe you have some thoughts about that with Ohio State, some of the matchups they've had. But there hasn't been a Notre Dame on the schedule. There hasn't been a nail-biter down to the wire. So yeah. everyone's that really, I guess, matters on this defense uh, or will matter on Saturday is usually tucked away by the late stages of the games. Um, so the question is, you know, what has Manny Diaz not shown us that might sh- show up on, on Saturday? Because it could be a pretty long list just based on the way they've blown out teams and then kind of just been able to handle their business and get to the finish line. You mentioned the the secondary. Obviously, Marvin Harrison Jr. last year, 10 catches for 185 yards in this matchup. We'll see if Emeka Buka is out there or not on Saturday. He's certainly a guy that takes some attention away. But how do you think that they will try and match up with Marvin Harrison. Some teams have doubled him the entire game, safety help. Some teams have left him one-on-one at times. What's your thoughts on how Penn State handles uh, arguably the best receiver in the country? I remember last year when we were all ramping up and, and billing the, the big showdown between him and Joey Porter Jr. And then we yeah. got like almost no reps between yeah. the two of them. It could be something similar with him and Kalen King. You know, I, I don't I don't think they'll be saying Kalen go chase him around the football field. Uh, I think they're very confident in Penn State uh, in those top two cornerbacks they have on the perimeter. 
Johnny Dixon, uh, and also Kalen King. Now, if if he were to hand one of you know take lunch money from one of those guys repeatedly over the course of this game, then you might see Penn State make an adjustment. But I don't necessarily think you'll see them, uh, you know, assigning somebody uh, to to shadow him over the course of this matchup. Now, the safety help is an interesting point, and they love their safety room. They have four guys that assess, essentially share the starting roles. Um, so you could see some, some, you know, some something there. But I, I, I'll be honest with you, I think they're in their ideal world, and I think Penn State's going to try to play within their ideal world until Penn, until Ohio State says you can't. Uh, I think they're going to be doing their damnedest to go you know, one-on-one down the field, give their pass rushers a chance to, to rush McCord and you know, give their cornerbacks an opportunity to make plays on the football. Um, you know, Marvin Harrison is an imposing figure. I'd be intimidated by him. Uh, I don't know if these Penn State defensive backs are, uh, but I'd expect Ohio State to feel out the situation, target him early, and if Penn State has a response, that could really set the tone for them defensively. Last thing, um, James Franklin, I think it's one and eight against Ohio State, four wins total against Michigan and Ohio State. What is kind of the the feeling about him coming into another big game here and obviously he's gotten this program back to to competing at a high level but is is there concern that it, it can't get further or is this the game that can prove okay now we can take the next step yeah that's a conversation to have maybe around 305 on on Saturday <laughs> about what comes next but I think leading into the game um and that's how I phrased it in in our you know written exchanges that we did for our sites is I think I would phrase happy Valley vibes as cautiously optimistic you know okay. people are very stung by what has transpired since that 2016 win when you know and launched Penn State to a surprising Big Ten title uh, you've had some very heartbreaking losses for Penn State and I know Ohio State fans are well aware of that but you know, two one-point losses along the way um, and, and it just and meanwhile they've got Michigan which I think for a while it felt like okay is Penn State gonna elbow Michigan as the number two team in the Big Ten East all of a sudden Michigan showed up and be, you know became a, a champion here in the division right. so it got a lot more complicated in the Big Ten East in a hurry. It didn't get any more simple. And I think for James Franklin, that win-loss record is something that everyone can point to and, 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 and you know poke holes in. And right now, he's on the verge of either coming home back to Happy Valley as a perception-changing kind of victory at 7-0, where you've got Michigan coming to Beaver Stadium in a few weeks and you are firmly in control of your own destiny. Or, you know, he's coming back here and the narrative is, well, you now you have to be Michigan. If you want a chance at the playoff, you have to be Michigan. And then you have to keep your fingers crossed that maybe Ohio State suffers something along the way and, and you can still get to Indianapolis. And it's so convoluted because it's still only four teams. But maybe more importantly, and maybe the, the the thing that would bother James Franklin is you're just missing out on another opportunity here. It's a four-team playoff. This is a playoff caliber team. Um, and and I think if you can do it with a sophomore quarterback and these sophomore running backs and a sophomore Abdul Carter, you're building not just something for right now, but people can sense that the, the train is moving in the right direction. Whereas if you lose this matchup um, and you head home here, people are going to say, you know, that's kind of the, the the narrative for James Franklin in that Big Ten East era is he was, you know, the bridesmaid ushering you know, the Ohio State Buckeyes or the or the Michigan Wolverines down the aisle towards Indianapolis along the way, maybe making some noise along the way, maybe creating a little bit of a scene along the way. But at the end of the, at, since 2016, it's been either the Buckeyes or the Wolverines there. Um, so it's a huge game for James Franklin. I don't think he's going to downplay that. He noted yesterday that he feels like the gap has been closed in some ways. He didn't say fully shut, but I think he feels like progress has been made the way they're able to keep their staff full now. I think their ability to retain assistance and pursue assistance is at a different level than it was. Their recruiting has been at a different level than it probably was sustained early in James Franklin's career. But you got to break through with a win. One-point losses don't get it done. 
um, and it won't in this case. So, uh, yeah, a lot riding on this, I think, in the perception. And I know in Ryan Day's case, uh, you know, it's going to do a lot to determine the narrative as you, we get closer to November. Yep. It's a crazy college football world we live in with uh, how one game can change all these perceptions. But Tyler, thank you for uh, jumping on with this. I know it's a busy week for both of us, but I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, let's hope we have a good one on Saturday. I think we will. I think I hope it's worthy of all the hype, all the work that we've all put in. And uh, yeah, I think it will be. But great to talk with you. And uh, we'll, we'll do it again soon, I'm sure. All right. Sounds good. Thanks again. All right. That was Tyler Donahue of our 24-7 Sports Lions 247 site. Um, they've had a ton of great stuff over there. If you haven't checked that out, go through the, some of their stuff they've had on on kind of the Penn State side of things. And as we mentioned, Tyler and I, as <clears throat> I do every week, I think they do over at Lions 247. We have uh, we exchanged some questions. I'll have that up on Bucknuts here either late this evening or tomorrow morning. Uh, we're going to wrap up here. I want to end with the way we've ended the last several weeks. Um predicting what, or what I like to call uh, the head, what you'll be reading kind of the headline for Saturday night, Sunday morning after this game is done. Um, I think, I think as I've said a couple times that this game is, is going to be tight. I can't see one, t- maybe one team pulls a little bit ahead at the end. Um, but I mean, these, these games, you know, for me, it feels a lot like the Notre Dame game. Um, just in terms of a, a tight battle. There may be some more scoring in this one, but just this tight battle where neither fan base, neither team feels comfortable throughout. So uh, I think because it's at home, I feel comfortable picking the Buckeyes. I haven't come up with a score yet, but I will have one uh, when we do our roundtable on Friday. But I think the headline you'll be reading Saturday night, Sunday morning, whenever you do your uh, your catching up on the Buckeyes, something along the lines of um, – Ohio State makes statement in tight win versus Penn State. Uh, look, as uh, as Bill Bender said earlier on this show, if Ohio State wins, they're the only team in the country with two top 10 wins. I don't know if that will actually get them up to number one in the rankings, but it certainly should. And I think the College Football Playoff Committee, if they were ranking teams right now, would certainly have them up there. So this is the opportunity uh, for Ohio State. It doesn't have to be pretty when you're playing Penn State on Saturday. It just has to be a win just like that Notre Dame game. Uh, And I think that that is the direction it will go. I think it's going to be a fun one. If you are uh, somebody who hates these, these tight, you know, nerve wracking affairs, maybe, uh, maybe find something to do on Saturday, but I don't think that you would be tuning in if that were the case. So look, enjoy it. I think it's going to be, like I said, uh, one of the games of the season in college football. Maybe it doesn't look like Washington and Oregon last week, because I think these defenses are very good, but I still think you're going to get some high quality football. Thanks again to Bill Bender from the Sporting News for joining us and uh, Tyler Donahue from Lions 247. They both brought great stuff. I thought if you missed that, this podcast version will be out shortly and the video will be up on YouTube as soon as we're done. All right, Buckeye fans, we will talk to you. I will talk to you uh, on Dave Biddle's What We Learned After the Game. Once we talk to Ryan Day and everyone in the post game, until then, have a good rest of your week. Enjoy your weekend and cheers.
world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!